Somebody, a great revivalist of many years ago said that if you really want revival, draw a great big circle, get in the middle of that circle, and pray until revival comes into that circle. And, um, and that, that's, that's where it starts. It starts with us individually. And then it spreads to our families, our immediate surroundings, and then it just spreads out from there. And um, if, if you want it, you can have it. And uh, this morning, I want to talk to you uh, about getting the hindrance out of the way so God can do for you what you need him to do. A few weeks ago, I asked the, the uh, staff uh, of your church here and the board all to come together. We spent about four hours one Saturday morning and I'm going to share with you this morning what I shared with them, at least a portion of what I shared with them. Because the only, the only reason that our prayers get hindered is because we have not understood how to get the hindrance out of the way so God can bless and meet our needs. Church, we get the idea sometimes that we're praying to try to overcome the reluctancy of God, and that's absolutely a false concept. God is not reluctant. Jeremiah said, the eyes of the Lord are running to and fro in the earth. God is looking for a people to bless. God is looking for a place to pour out his spirit. God is looking for individuals that he can do the supernatural for. And, and meet needs and do great things. So there has to be something else. It's not the reluctance of God. There has to be something. And so this morning, for the next few minutes, uh, I, I, I know that, that we're excited about what we just came through. And I don't want us to lose that excitement. I don't want us to lose the faith that was built in us over the last week. I want us to be as excited as David was when he said in Psalms chapter 18, verse 29, he said, for by you, I can run against a troop and by my God, I can leap over a wall. Have you ever felt like that? Amen. You just feel like you could go. I want us to, I want us to keep that kind of anticipation. But we've got to recognize that there are hindrances and we've got to be able to identify them and to move them out of the way so we can go forward and accomplish what God wants us to. If you don't believe in hindrances, let me give you a couple quick examples. 1 Thessalonians 2 and 18, let me read this to you. Therefore, we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. We're, folks, we're talking about the Apostle Paul that was hindered. We're not talking, we're talking about a heavy hitter here. This is a guy that, that God used to write two-thirds of the New Testament. He said there was a hindrance that kept us back for a while. They had to, they had to take care of that hindrance before they could get through. Uh, another example, 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7, I want all you men to listen really carefully to this. Therefore, uh, husbands likewise dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. You know what the Apostle Peter is saying here? It could be that your prayers, the reason your prayers are not getting answered is because you're not treating your family right. Amen. 
Husbands, if you're not treating your wife right, that will hinder your prayers. In other words, Satan will have an accusation against you to keep your prayers from going through. Uh, Psalm 66, 18 says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. So there's some things that will hinder your prayer. I should have put this in my notes and I, I didn't think about it. Um, but let me just give you another one. I was only going to give you a couple of examples here. Let me give you one more. In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus talked about unforgiveness. And, and he talked about, he gave us a parable in the last part of that 18th chapter. Read it when you get home about the unmerciful servant. And, and he said, this guy didn't forgive his fellow servant. He, his Lord forgave him of a great big debt, huge debt. But he went out and found somebody else that owed him a small amount of money. And he wouldn't forgive him. Instead, he had him cast into prison until the debt was due. Jesus said the Lord of that servant came back. And he, he took that guy and he said, you unmerciful servant, I forgave you of your debt. Then you wouldn't forgive somebody else. And he cast him. He delivered him. Listen to this. He delivered him to his tormentors. And if you trace that word in the scripture, you'll find out that tormentors represent demonic spirits. He, he, present, he turned him over to his tormentors until his debt was paid. Now, the debt was not the amount of money. He had already been forgiven of that. The debt was forgiving others. Here's your heavenly father has forgiven you, forgiven me for everything and God will not allow us to hold unforgiveness in our heart against anybody. Are you hearing me this morning? We cannot hold unforgiveness in our heart. If we do, Jesus said, so likewise shall my heavenly father do to you if you from your heart do not forgive everyone their trespasses. In other words, anybody that's hurt you, anybody that's said anything against you, anything that's, anybody that's done you wrong, anybody that's cheated you, anybody, that, it's not the fact that, that you weren't done wrong, it's the fact that you didn't forgive. God forgave us for everything. If you're offended with somebody this morning, you're allowing your prayers to be hindered. You need to get rid of that offense. The offense is the bait of Satan. And you need to get rid of that because if you don't, you're, you're hindering. And I'll show you in a minute how this hindrance works and why Satan has a legal right to hinder your prayers when, when you don't forgive. So we gotta, we've, we've got to forgive everybody, everything. I don't care. If you're holding something against somebody, you are in trouble with God. In fact, God steps back and tormenting spirits, demonic forces have a legal right to affect you and your family and your life if, if you don't forgive everybody for everything. Yes. Who are we supposed to forgive? Everybody. For what? Everybody. Have you got it? Yes. All right. So now, now let's, let's proceed. Um, what we need to do here is identify the accuser. There is an accuser before God that hinders our prayers. Job 1 and 6 says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. Satan was there. What was he doing? 
he was accusing Job. You remember he accused Job. He said, he said, God, the only reason Job serves you is because you're so good to him. God said, that's not true. And that's what, that's, Job went through some trials, but God would not allow Satan to take his life. And at the end, God gave him twice what he had in the beginning. God restored and blessed abundantly. But it was Satan that accused. In fact, the, the very word Satan itself, look at it in the original language. And I, I reference you here, if you look at uh, Strong's um, dictionary of the Hebrew words here, the word Satan itself means an opponent or the opponent, the hater, the accuser, the adversary, the enemy, the one who resists, obstructs, and hinders whatever's good. Revelations 12 and 10 describes Satan as the accuser of our believing brothers and sisters. So here, here's the way this thing works. I want, you to, I want you to take another look at prayer and how we pray. Jesus taught on prayer in several places. In Matthew, he taught us the Lord's Prayer. In Luke, he also taught us the Lord's Prayer. Matthew 6, the prayer that you're familiar with. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You, you could all quote that prayer. That's a prayer. But there's another place that Jesus taught on prayer, and he taught it from a different perspective entirely. And it's in Luke chapter 18. And I'm going to read six verses because Jesus gave us a parable that is really a story to tell us how prayer works. Listen to it. I'm going to read it from the Amplified. Now, Jesus was telling the disciples a parable to make the point that at all times they ought to pray and not to give up and lose heart, saying, here's the parable. In a certain city, there was a judge. I want you to notice these legal terms as I go through. There was a judge who did not fear God and had no respect for man. There was a desperate widow in that city, and she kept coming to him saying, give me justice and legal protection from my adversary. For a time he would not, but later he said to himself, even though I do not fear God and respect men, yet because this widow continues to bother me, I will give her justice, legal protection. Otherwise, by continually coming, she will be an intolerable annoyance and she will wear me out. Then the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge said. Now, he doesn't repeat it. He just said, listen to what he said. You're going to have to go back and reread it to listen to what he said because he goes forward with the parable. But, but there's something about what this unjust judge did that Jesus said is important for you to get and understand. So then he goes, he goes forward. Verse 7. And will not our just God defend and avenge his elect, his chosen ones, who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay in providing justice on their behalf? I tell you that he will defend and avenge them quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find this kind of persistent faith on the earth? Wow. Now, Again, I want you to note the legal terms in this parable. It's, it's just full of legal terms. 
So it tells me that this is a picture of a legal proceeding. In fact, this is a court setting. So when we keep coming uh, to, to a court, think about this for a minute. When you keep coming to the court uh, and, and you keep prevailing upon a judge, how do you do that? You, you, don't, you don't go to the court down here and say, oh, judge, please, 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 please. Hear me again. Please, please, please. We get the idea. And it's because that our concept of prayer is always supplication intercession. And that's, that's not true. There's other aspects of prayer. But we get the idea. And, and when Jesus said, keep coming, he's not talking about coming, begging the judge. Oh, judge, please help me. Please help me. Please help me. No, no. That's not the way you go before a court and get a hearing. The way you go before the court is to bring evidence. That's why the court will listen to you. That's why the judge will give you the time of day. You come with evidence. You come with legal evidence. And so you, you keep coming with your evidence. Now, here, here's the thing. What we're seeking for here, just like this little woman was seeking, this is what we're seeking for when we pray. What is being sought here is a favorable verdict. In other words, we want the judge of heaven to rule in our behalf. For example, let me go back to these tormenting spirits in, in Matthew 18 that's allowed to have activity in your life if you have unforgiveness. You want heaven to rule against those demonic powers so they won't torment you anymore. How many of you would like for all the tormenting spirits to be removed from your life? Just leave you alone. Leave your family alone. Amen? Leave, leave your job alone. Leave your career alone. Leave, leave me alone. Well, it's, it's a legal thing here. Now, prayer, as Jesus is describing it in this parable in Luke 18, is, is a courtroom appeal. And Jesus is contrasting the legal system of this world with the legal system of heaven. And Jesus said in this world, the legal system sometimes is corrupt. A anybody agree with that? Sometimes the legal system of this earth misses it. Sometimes the judge can be bought off. He's an unjust judge. It's not that way in the legal system of heaven. Jesus said in the legal system of heaven, we've got a just judge. You, you can go before you, that judge with confidence that when justice is given, it will in fact be just because he is a just judge. Now, there almost sounds like a paradox in this statement uh, or in this parable because he says, we want you to keep coming. And yet Jesus said, the just judge will avenge you speedily or quickly. Now, keep coming quickly. That those two don't, what, what, are, what are we saying here? Here's, here's the solution to this conundrum here. When you come with the right evidence and the judge can give you legal verdict in your, in your behalf and in your favor, then he quickly will answer your prayer. God desires to do that. 
He desires to do that. But we've got an accuser, and if he has a, a right, if he has a legal right against us, if he can say to God, they've got offense in their heart, they've got unforgiveness in their spirit, they're jealous, they, they've got a lying spirit, they've got a controlling spirit, they, they mistreat their family, uh, God don't treat his wife right. You said you, you wouldn't answer his prayers if he, if he wasn't, didn't honor his wife. He, if, if you've got that accuser there, you've got to take care of that. And I'm going to show you this morning how we do that. Any, anybody want to know how to get rid of the accuser? Anybody? All right. Give God some praise because it's right here in his word. I want to talk to you about the believer's position and legal rights. And our example in all things is Jesus Christ. He's our example. In fact, one scripture says he's left us an example that we should follow in his steps. So I'm going to take you to the book of Hebrews chapter 6. And I'm going to read verses 19 and 20. And then we're going to move over to Hebrews chapter 7 and read the first two verses. Here it is. This hope. This confident assurance we have as an anchor for the soul, it cannot slip and it cannot break down under whatever pressure bears upon it. A safe and steadfast hope that enters within the veil of the heavenly temple, that most holy place in which the very presence of God dwells. That is the courtroom of heaven where Jesus has entered in advance in other words, he's already been there as a forerunner for us. Do you get that? You, you know what a forerunner is? Somebody that goes ahead of you, somebody that goes before you. Remember, John the Baptist was the forerunner of Jesus Christ. He came announcing that Jesus was coming. He came preaching repentance. And so when Jesus came along, he preached the same thing. He preached repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But he was the forerunner. Well, Jesus is our forerunner who has already gone into the court of heaven, having become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Now, this is so important that you get this. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham as he returned from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And Abraham gave him a tenth of all the spoil. He is first of all, by the translation of his name, king of righteousness. And then he is also the king of Salem, which means he's the king of, uh, of peace. Now, get, get this. If you miss everything else that I say this morning, I want you to see this. Jesus is a priest. He is our high priest. We understand that. This morning at the right hand of the Father right now, we have Jesus interceding for us. He is a high priest. But when, when he came to fulfill all the religious orders, he fulfilled that position of priest. But the scripture says he fulfills it after the order of Melchizedek. Not after the order of Aaron, who was the original, the first priest in the, in the Hebrew Jewish religion, the old covenant, the Mosaic law, Aaron was the priest. Levi and the whole Levitical tribe was the priestly tribe. They did the sacrificing at the altar in the tabernacle and later in the temple. 
But the scripture doesn't say that Jesus is a priest after the order of Aaron. It does not say that Jesus is a priest after the order of Levi. It says he is a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And then it tells you about Melchizedek. This is why he's after the order of Melchizedek and not after Aaron or Levi. Aaron and Levi, both wonderful men of God, and they were certainly great priests and carried that on. But Jesus served also as priest and king. You see, Melchizedek, priest of the Most High God, but king of Salem, king of righteousness, king of peace. Jesus is our forerunner. Jesus is our example. So if we're going to be priest and if we're going to serve in the order of the priesthood, and we have a spiritual right to do that today under the new covenant. I know some of you, when you think about priest, you're thinking about a, a man and a, and a, a religious, and, and that, that's fine. But I'm talking about the kingdom of God. I'm talking about the spiritual household, the spiritual church. And I'll show you in a minute from the scripture that we are priests and kings before God. We follow the example of Jesus. So that means we're a priest and it also means we're a king. You say, preacher, I, I find that hard to believe. Well, let's go to the scripture and look at it. We too are priests and kings. Look at Revelations chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. This is what it says. To him who loved us. Now, let me stop right here and say this first chapter of Revelations is talking about what is not what is to come the rest of revelations after you get from four forward talks about what is to come but this first chapter is talking about what already is some some people say we'll be priests and kings in the millennial kingdom and that is true but you got to go to revelations chapter five to get to that chapter one is what is now to him who loved past tense loved us and washed us, washed, past tense, washed us from our sins in his own blood and has, not will, has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. That's now. That's now. That's now. Turn to your neighbor and say, we're kings and priests. Now, we're kings and priests now. Okay, let's look first of all at priests, and then we'll look at the kings. Here's the priest. Now, in the Old Testament, under the old order, priests offered sacrifices. They brought the sacrifices. They brought, whether it was a lamb or a bullock, a ram or whatever, and they offered that sacrifice. And as a priest, if you take this from the religious standpoint, the, the tabernacle or the temple, and move it over into a courtroom situation, the priest is a lawyer. He's an attorney. He's bringing, literally, he's bringing the blood of the animals he sacrifices. He goes into the Holy of Holies where God is, which is where the courtroom of heaven is, and he presents that to the judge of heaven, and he says, Here's the sacrifice. Here's the blood. I'm asking you to take this blood that represents the blood that Jesus will one day shed for our sins. And I want you to cover our sins for the next year. That's what the high priest did. He served as that attorney that went in. 
and, and pled the case for the people and said, here's the blood. I want you to cover that. And, and God would honor that. God would honor that. How many of you are glad we're not under the old covenant, but the new covenant? Yeah. Amen. So this morning when I got ready for church, I did not have to go out to the flock and find a perfect lamb and come dragging it in here. I'd have had to got up even earlier than I already did to, to slay that sacrifice. Under the new covenant, we are priests before God, but our sacrifice has already been given. 2,000 years ago, Jesus hung on the cross of Calvary. He was the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the earth. Now, I still have to make my appeal to the courtroom of heaven. That's what prayer is. But I go before the judge of all the earth, right into the holy of holies. He said we can come boldly before the throne of grace and make our petitions known. But I go boldly before the throne of grace, and I take the sacrifice of his son, and I say to the judge of all the earth, Heavenly Father, I, I, I present to you as evidence that my sins are covered, the blood of Jesus Christ, your son, that was shed on the cross of Calvary 2,000 years ago. Wow. That, that, that's the way we do it. Let me give you a scripture. Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Now, here's where you get rid of the hindrance. If you've got unforgiveness in your heart, if you've got sin in your life, if you're hiding iniquity in your heart, if, you, if you've got jealousy or envy or strife or any of, any of that kind of stuff, you go to the cross of Calvary and you ask the Lord to forgive you your sins. Repent, repent, repent. You know, unfortunately, a lot of pulpits today are, are not talking about sin or repentance. And, and consequently, they're allowing their, their prayers to be hindered. But if, you, if you'll take whatever it is that you've got in your heart this morning, if you'll take it to the cross of Calvary and ask God to forgive you, the, the sacrifice has already been made. And, and the blood of Jesus is not just going to cover your sins for a year. He's going to wash them away forever. Amen. Glory to God. So then you turn as an attorney to the judge of all the earth. And you say, Heavenly Father, I know that accuser over there at the other table, Satan, has been accusing me. But I just want you to know this morning that those accusations Jesus took on his body and nailed them to the cross. And, I, and I, I went this morning by the way of the cross. And my sins have been forgiven because the blood of Jesus Christ has atoned for them. And so now I appeal to you this morning as, as the righteous judge of all the earth to, 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 to take care of those accusations. And Satan from this moment on is a liar and a deceiver and a conniver, and he doesn't stand a chance because what he said, and God has the legal right to make the verdict in your behalf and in your favor. Is anybody happy about that? Say praise the Lord. Glory to God. 
Glory to God. <laughs> Woo! And this is where it gets to be fun. This is where it gets to be fun. I don't know about you. I, I, the part of being a lawyer, that, that, that part's, you know, that, that's okay. That's okay. But there's something I like better than, than my position as a lawyer. You see, once you get that verdict in your, in your favor, once God has ruled in your favor, then you step out of your role as a, as a priest and you step over here into your role as a king. That's the one I like. Glory to God. We are priests and kings with God. And this is how Jesus, this is exactly how he operated. Let, let me give you an example. You remember when Jesus stood at the tomb of Lazarus? Let, let, me, tell you, let me tell you what he said. He said right, right there in front of that whole crowd, he looked up into heaven and he said, Father, I know that you hear me. I know that you've already heard me. In other words, he said, Father, I've already prayed about this situation. Before I got here, I've, I've already prayed about it. And, and, and Jesus told us, he said, the only thing I do is what I see my heavenly father do or, or what he tells me to do. So Jesus had already gone before the courtroom of heaven and said, Father, Lazarus has been taken prematurely. And God said, okay, I rule in your favor. But Lazarus is still dead. But Jesus steps over into his role as king. And he said, Lord, I know you heard me. And now I'm going to act as a king. And he says, Lazarus, come forth. <laughs> and Lazarus came out of that grave. Been dead four days. And Jesus said, now, now un unwrap that linen from around his head and let him go free. Amen. Here's what a king does. A king doesn't beg. A king doesn't intercede. A king doesn't plead. A king decrees. Glory to God. A king decrees. Now, some of you have stopped short. You, you, you've, got the, you've got the legal right, and God's already ruled in your favor, and you're still begging. You're still begging. What, what, what if... What if one of my kids came in when they were 16, 17, 18 years old and they said, uh, Daddy, could I borrow the car tonight? Oh, please, Dad, could I borrow the car? Oh, please, Dad, I, could I borrow the car? And I reach in my pocket and I say, here, here, son, here's, here's the keys. And he takes the keys and he says, thank you, Deb. Oh, please, please, could I borrow the car tonight? Oh, please, could I borrow the car? No, 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 no. There comes a point then when you act on what has happened. And so when you get the verdict in your favor, and if you've got your sins washed away and you've gone before the Lord with your petition, he delights in doing it. He said he'd do it quickly. Amen. It's time for us to step over into our kingship role and start making some decrees. Now, if you don't know what to decree, let me give you a few good ones right here, just some examples, and you can take it from there. I, I like this one. It's found, in, it's found in Isaiah chapter 
54 and 17. I like this one right here when I'm going through a battle. No weapon formed against, I like to make it personal. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. Every tongue that rises up against me in judgment, I'll condemn it because that's my heritage in the Lord and his righteousness is for me. Praise God. Amen. Some of you going through a battle need to, need to decree that right now if you've got the verdict in your favor. Here's another one. Isaiah 54 and 13. You might remember several years ago, way back when, when, uh, when one of my boys was 14 years old, he was diagnosed with an incurable terminal disease, liver disease, by five different specialists. They said he, there's no cure for this disease and it's terminal. He will die with it. And my wife, God gave her this scripture one morning. And when he gave her this scripture, she latched onto it like a bulldog. And she's quoted it over and 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 over again. And this is it. All of your children, except she said, all of my children shall be taught by the Lord and great shall be the peace of my children. Amen. Some of you got some kids out there and the devil has got you discouraged. They've been acting up, misbehaving living in sin, doing things that disappoint you and discourage you. And you're, you're accepting defeat and you don't need to do that. You need to go before the courtroom of heaven and say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Jesus shed his blood for my kids too. Amen. Jesus died for my kids too. And, and, and I'm, I'm serving the Lord. I'm, I'm a child of God. I, I'm a part of the family of God. And I, my, I'm just not going to let my kids die and go to hell in the name of Jesus. Lord, I'm coming before you. Here's the blood. And you plead your case. And God will rule in your favor. He delights to do that. Amen. You tell him, Lord, you said in your word. This is not my word. You, you said that my children will be taught of the Lord. And great will be the peace of my children. And praise God. You stand as a king and decree it and declare it. And you say, Satan, get your hands off of my kid. Get away from my family. You don't have a legal right to be there anymore. Praise the Lord. Let me give you some more examples. Maybe it'll encourage you a little bit. <laughs> I love this. Philippians 4, 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Praise God. Devil tells you you can't do it. Tell you, get behind me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I may not be able to do it in my power. I may not be smart enough myself, but you, do, you just don't know who I'm serving. I can do all things. Through. Look at this in 419 of Philippians. My God shall supply all of my need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Praise the Lord. Some of you got financial battles right now. You ought to get a hold of this. You ought to start decreeing and declaring my needs are met. I read this scripture. I read this scripture a lot of mornings, and then I, right behind it, I'll, I'll quote this scripture, and I'll say, my God supplies all my needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. And then I just lift both hands, and I declare, my needs are met, my needs are met, my needs are met by Christ Jesus. Glory to God. My needs are met. My needs are met. My needs are met. Just declare it. Jesus told you in the Lord's Prayer to pray, give us this day our daily bread. He knows what you need today. Decree it. Amen. You're a king with God. First John 4, 4, I like this. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Praise the Lord. The greater one lives inside. I love Luke 10, 19 that says, Behold, I give unto you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions. Those are demonic forces right there. And over all of the power of the enemy and nothing 
shall by any means hurt you. Glory to God. Amen. Decree it. Decree it. Declare it. But you got to take care of the hindrance. You got to deal with your sin issues. Get that out of the way and go before the court of heaven with the blood of Jesus. And you will get a verdict in your favor. And when you do, you stand as a king and declare what thus saith the Lord. Glory to God. Will you stand with me? Hallelujah. 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 When I was a little boy, my mother used to read to me a, a story almost every night from, she had a whole, uh, whole set of books called Uncle Arthur's Bedtime Stories, and they were all true stories that, uh, that a man named Arthur had experienced or seen or knew about and had documented in his long ministry. And I remember one of them, there was an orphanage in Africa and um, in, in the village where that orphanage was, the bubonic plague hit that village and people were dying like flies. I mean, they were dying all around. It almost wiped the whole village out. But in that orphanage with all those little children, the, the matriarch of that orphanage had those kids to quote the 91st Psalm every night. And they especially gave emphasis to that verse that says, and no plague shall come nigh thy dwelling. And they quoted that over and over and over. They decreed it. They declared it. The bubonic plague will not come nigh our dwelling. It touched the whole village around them, but not one child in that orphanage was even sick, much less die with that bubonic plague. It did not touch them. They were decreeing the Word of God. Some of you need to make some decrees, some declarations. Somewhere in this book is the answer to your need, the answer to your problem. And the Holy Spirit's able to give you that scripture just like he gave my wife many years ago. That's that one scripture that just resonated in her spirit until she latched onto it with such tenacity that she refused to let it go. There's a scripture in here that we take care of your sin problem. Get rid of it. Get rid of it. And then go before the court of heaven and get your verdict. And then to start declaring what thus saith the Lord. You can have revival in your heart. You can have revival in your home. You can have revival in your neighborhood. You can have revival in this church. Amen. We can have it, church. We can have it. We can have it. We can have it. Glory to God. I'm just asking the Holy Spirit. I, I, I hope and pray that after last week that there's a hunger in your heart to see the mighty move of God that we need. And, and if you're willing this morning, if you're willing to go before the court of heaven with your prayers, and I don't know where you are. Some of you may need to come this morning and just plain repent. If you do, do that. That's nothing wrong with that. In fact, you, that's first step. You got to do that. If you got anything that needs to be dealt with, deal with it. I can tell you, all of you know that my family's going through a tough time this year. This has been the toughest year of my life, starting with January the 1st. 
And I've done more repenting in the last three months, fasting and praying and saying, God, search me. Just like David said, Lord, search me, try me, know my heart, see if there's any wicked way in me. If you'll do that and be honest before God, the Holy Spirit will show you. And I've done, I've repented to God and I've even done some repenting to some people. Amen. If, if, when God reveals something not supposed to be there. And they, but I want to tell you something. God's just moving me in position where he can open. He's moving me in position where he can open the windows of heaven and pour out blessings that I won't even be able to receive. Amen. If you'll allow God this morning, if you will allow God this morning to deal with your heart, you can go before the court of heaven, get a verdict in your favor and decree the word of God over your situation. God will move in your behalf. God will move in your behalf. If you want that, I want you to come. Just, just, uh, yeah, everybody may not be able to get here, but if you, if you say, preacher, I want it. I, I want it. I want, God, I want God to move in my home. I want God to move in my family. I want revival in my heart, whatever it takes. Whether, what, whatever you need to do this morning, if you need to come and repent, come and repent. If you just need to come and, and present to the court of heaven the blood of Jesus, and, or maybe you need to come and decree and declare this morning the Word of God over your situation. God bless you. Get as close as you can, but let's pray together for the next few minutes. Let's, let's just pour out our prayers to heaven. Praise God. Praise God.